Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode where we interview an analyst to discuss a single stock or industry. And in this case, we're talking about a company most people are probably not familiar with, but it was really fascinating. It's something that we have a little bit of experience as shareholders in before, just through the nicotine pouch space, a little bit of exposure there, which I guess is a a little bit of a spoiler alert. The company is called Hape Group, and our guest is Spencer Sibeli. Spencer is an investment associate at Robotti and Company. We've had Bob Robotti on the show and Spencer on the show before, so feel free to go check out those episodes if you want. Bob talked about Sub C7, and Spencer talked about Playway, a Polish gaming company. But this one's really fascinating. It's a small cap, I think $120 million market cap USD somewhere around there. So kind of keep that in mind. It's illiquid. You might not have access to it on certain brokerages. So kind of do your research before buying or anything like that. But I guess without further ado, here's our interview with Spencer Sibeli. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. Today, we are joined by now second-time guest, Spencer Sibeli. He is an investment associate at Robotti & Co., we also, I've also met with Spencer in person once, but uh, this is now the third time kind of meeting and talking. Last time we spoke about Playway, a gaming company based in, it was Turkey, right? Or no, not Turkey, Poland, Poland. Poland, Poland. Yeah. And it's done pretty well. I think up kind of 35% plus since we last spoke about it and had a little dividend in there too. We're going with another sort of oddball type stock in that I'm guessing most of our listeners haven't heard of it because I actually hadn't heard of it until you uh, sent something over. So we're talking about Hape Group, H-A-Y-P-P Group. They are based in Sweden, I believe, but I'll I'll just kick things to you. What is Hape Group? And then can can you describe where they operate? Yeah. Um, so, you know, HAPE is, is the world's largest uh, online retailer of nicotine pouches and, and you know, Swedish snus, which right is, you know, tobacco-based pouch products. They've been popular in Sweden for a while. Um, but, you know, I think of it as a, as a marketplace between, you know, brand owners and the most active and, and loyal consumers in the industry. Uh, they exclusively retail third-party products, right? They don't manufacture anything themselves. Uh, and in their mature markets, you know, they, they own all of their infrastructure, right? Warehouses, distribution, fulfillment centers, things like that. Uh, and yeah, it's pretty simple, right? They're just ordering nicotine pouch products directly from the manufacturers, sending them to their distribution fulfillment centers, and, and then selling them to the end consumers, Um you know, in less mature markets, Hape relies on, on third-party solutions, so so they're doing all that. But they they ship to a third-party facility who does the packing uh, and then and then shipping to the end consumer. You know, it's also the world's leading insights and data provider to manufacturers of nicotine pouches. Uh, so that's probably a high single-digit uh, piece of the business today, and, and growing very nicely. But, you know, they basically sell licenses to buyers, uh, you know, gives them front end access to data as a one off annual fee per market. 
And they also offer kind of bespoke solutions. So they, you know, they offer focus groups, product tests, surveys, and, and kind of do that on a on an ad hoc basis for individual customers. Uh, in general, I think it's it's important for the the major manufacturers. Uh, they just have this treasure trove of data uh, and can really market that. Um, and then I think since the jewel scandal, right, you're not going to see, uh, you know, Zen ads on, on New York City taxis and, and during, you know, TV commercial breaks. I just think the manufacturers themselves have been very hesitant to, to deal directly with consumers. Uh, so, you know, HAPE has sort of developed into this go-to vehicle, uh, you know, for also promoting and testing out new products and, and doing the focus groups and all that. Um, you know, so HAPE operates 10 different websites in seven different countries. Uh, so they're in Sweden, Norway, the UK, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, and the US. Um, and, you know, give you some perspective, right? In the last 12 months, I think they've had, you know, over 900,000 active customers. Uh, you know, so you need customers who, who place an order through one of their websites. Uh, if you're in the US, you know, the, the websites are the northerner.com and, and nickokick.com. Uh, so you can check those out. But just to give a bit of history, uh, you know, so the company was started by two entrepreneurs uh, in the 2008-2009 timeframe. Uh, they launched their first site in Sweden called Snusbolaget. Uh, they grew that over time into the number one online player there. Uh, and then 2017, the current CEO, Gavin O'Doy, joined. And, you know, he joined the business from uh, British American Tobacco. You know, 12 weeks after he joined, they went into Norway and bought the number one player there. So that's, you know, early 2018. Uh, in 2019, they entered the U.S. They bought uh, the Northerner, and that owned the Northerner.com and, and NickoKick.com, which are Hape's kind of two main websites in the U.S. Uh, and then they also had some some legacy sites in the in the Dock region. Uh, you know, it's interesting. That was a pure share deal, and and the Northerner kind of you know owns all of the share, so he owns uh, the guy behind it around nine percent of Hape today. Uh, in 2019, they they organically entered Switzerland. Uh, and then the most recent kind of big move they made is they raised debt to buy the number two and number three players in Sweden, uh, which were older sites, about eight, nine years old as well, uh, and bought those, I think, on the same day, actually. And yeah, so part of the reason for the IPO actually was to, to pay off uh, some of that debt and then, you know, have proceeds uh, to begin their expansion plan into new markets. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty simple business and, you know, they, they have sort of dominant market share in all their markets. We'll get into that, uh, more a bit later. Um, but you know, that's half as a, as a group. So. Yeah. And I should say for anyone, this is a small cap. Um, the ticker is it's a micro anyone, cap. <laughs> micro cap. <laughs> yeah. I should, we should disclose that. And the ticker is H A Y P P for anyone, just because I know sometimes it can be hard to find these things, but let's talk unit economics this is a somewhat unique business as i mean some people run this model for the other things but it's unique as it's the only one really doing this or one of the few yeah. so how do the sites make money what are the major costs like how much how does it drop to the bottom line are they just taking a cut of every sale and managing this stuff but any details you can provide yeah i mean so it, it's actually it ends up being pretty simple uh right so basically hape you know they're buying large quantities of, of pouches directly from suppliers Directly from Philip Morris, directly, you know, they're, they're buying Zen pouches from them on from Atria or whatever the, you know, the the, the brand is. Uh, you know, they're shipping those to their own warehouse or a third party warehouse. They package them, they sort them, and then they just ship them direct to consumer. Um, 
you know, it's not a super high margin business. Uh, you know, gross margins are, are running around 12% right now in the core markets, uh, a bit higher in the growth markets. And they, they actually expect the growth markets uh, gross margin to, to be, you know, decently higher than, than the core markets. Uh, but, you know, basically for $100 worth of merchandise they're selling, they're, they're buying that all in for, for 88 bucks. Uh, you know, maybe they get the pouches for for, for less, uh, but you got to factor in, uh, you know, different costs. So that gross margin line, right, you, you're including the, the cost of buying from the supplier, the cost of shipping to the warehouse, cost of filling and sorting it, and then shipping costs to the consumer. So that's all kind of baked in there. And that's where you get sort of 12% uh, off revenue. Uh, and then, you know, below that gross margin line, there's not much. Uh, you have some fixed OPEX costs, uh, which, you know, when launching in a new markets requires a, a decent upfront uh, investment. Uh, but, you know, scales really nicely with, with higher top line numbers and, you know, generally it's good operating leverage. Um, but, you know, typical fist costs, right? Like lease rent payments, utilities, uh, equipment in these facilities, you know, corporate office space, personnel expenses you know, some website server costs and that sort of stuff. Um, and then, you know, in their core markets, they're doing about eight, 9% EBITDA margins. Um, you know, so that's sort of the the Delta, I guess, 4% OPEX, right? Going from 12 to, to eight, nine. Uh, and, you know, that's actually getting pulled down though for the group as a whole, because the, the growth markets piece is, is still burning cash. Uh, you know, so Face valuation, uh, EBITDA margins are, are probably like low 3% right now. Uh, but, you know, the business at scale should be doing at least 8%, 9%. Um, but once you get there, there's really high conversion to free cash flow. Uh, in general, it's a very low CapEx business. Uh, you know, CapEx typically runs around 2% of sales annually. Uh, you know, there's no need for, for large inventory purchases as well. Kind of like some retail companies at a year end. You know they're fully turning their their warehouses every two to three weeks continually throughout the year, uh, so that's that's pretty consistent. Um, so yeah, I mean you know EBITDA is generally a, a pretty good proxy for uh, for free cash flow uh, when we talk about valuation and you know there's there's some working capital items recently and you know they're doing this sort of like back end infrastructure overhaul and you know overhaul their ESP systems, their ERP systems and things like that. Uh, but, you know, generally you get a, a pretty high conversion. So, you know, maybe they do mature 8% EBITDA margins, you know, less 2% maintenance capex and, you know, pre-tax sort of free cash flow kind of around that 6%, 7% range. Uh, but, you know, the margins could go up over over time. I guess we'll, we'll talk about that later, uh, you know, going into the growth story a little bit. But yeah, it's a uh, it's pretty, pretty simple business. They're just buying these, these pouches in bulk, shipping them to the warehouse, you know, you know, sorting them, fulfilling them, and, and then sending them to, to consumers. Uh, and then, you know, you have the media insights piece as well, which pretty much all, all drops to the bottom line because it's, you know, existing sort of data that they're collecting anyway. So. Chit Chat Money is brought to you by Interactive Brokers, but we like to call them by their ticker symbol, IBKR. Designed for active traders and sophisticated investors, Interactive Brokers offers trading assets in 150 markets with 27 different currencies, charges USD margin loan rates from 5.83% to 6.83%, rated the lowest among margin fees, the ability to trade stocks, bonds, options, futures, commodities, and more with high interest rates paid on instantly available cash balances, and the ability to lend your eligible stock shares to earn passive income, all on one single unified platform. Restrictions may apply. For more information, visit ibkr.com. 
member SIPC. Open an account with IBKR today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, question that's probably coming to mind for a lot of listeners. Microcap, ten. You said ten different websites. Uh, yeah, all selling similar products. I'm guessing people are thinking about the competitive set. Basically, like where do they fit in here? So, who are the big competitors? Who are they fighting for customers with? And then. Like, what advantage does Hape have over any of their uh, competitors in the industry? Okay. So, I mean, there's sort of two big facets to this question. You know, the first being, I guess, the advantage Hape has versus other online platforms. Um, and then, you know, the advantage Hape has versus brick and mortar, because they're, they're really competing with both. Uh you know, in general, I'll just start it off, right? They have a very sticky customer base. Uh, in fiscal 22, I think it was like 85% of sales were from returning customers. You know, average customer is 33 years old, uh, skewing slightly, you know, more towards male, but it's it's pretty, uh, you know, pretty even mix, especially compared to other nicotine products. Uh, and what they found, right, is that they, you know, once they get a consumer to order, uh, about 70% of them will return and order another time within, you know, the first uh, 90 days from that first order. Uh, once they get that second order, they generally stay for good. So, you know, it's just a, a pretty sticky business overall, especially once they get that that first order. So, you know, in terms of the online landscape, right, Hape, I think they're, you know, 10 plus times bigger than the next biggest competitor. Uh, it's this group called Make Weibo. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about them a bit, but I guess the most important advantage is Hape scale, right? So, so being so large, they have quicker delivery times, right? I think, you know, most consumers get their products in 24 or 36 hours. They have the widest assortment sort of by far. Uh, I think, you know, websites have typically 800 to, to 1200 SKUs per website. Uh, and then they have the lowest prices too, because they're ordering them in bulk, you know, larger sizes and volumes of their competitors. And they also have the media insights piece, which is important. So, you know, I think suppliers generally treat them well and, and give them favorable terms. Uh, so that's a, a big competitive edge they've had. And, you know, that, that's shown, right? So they've built incredible market share in all of their markets. Um, you know, currently, HAPE will have one local competitor in each market that has a high single digit percent share. I'd say with the exception of, of Doc, so Germany, uh, Austria, Switzerland, Make Weibo, the, the competitor I talked about has a you know bigger position there. Uh, but in Sweden, HAPE is 90% market share. In Norway, HAPE is about 80% market share. In the UK, they have about 90%. Uh, in the US, they have 75% of the legal market. So there is a sizable gray market for like importing untaxed on um, you know licensed products from Europe. Uh, so if you include that, HAPE is about 55%, um, but excluding the gray market and kind of like Zen DTC, HAPE is like 90, 93% market share in the US. 
Uh, and in Doc, you know, it was historically around 30%. But, you know, the CEO noted to me, he thinks they're, they're gaining share because they have a better position in, in nicotine pouches. So make Weibo traditionally, you know, had a big, uh, big presence with traditional sort of snooze. Uh, so he thinks they could be 40 to 50% now in that Germany, Austria, Switzerland uh, area. But the big thing is that, you know, you know, new entrants into the space have a very difficult time acquiring new customers, right? So all major social media sites, uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, right, have a strict no nicotine, no tobacco advertisement policy. And, you know, it's basically all sort of organic uh, Google search and, and different search engines. Uh, so, you know, Hape dominates the top three organic search results in all of their markets, and they prefer to have multiple websites. So the, the top one, two, three are, are all Hape. <laughs> and, you know, the top three really receive all the traffic. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it's a very defensible position. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's basic sort of SEO stuff, but there's sort of four pillars, right? So there's site performance, how easy is it to navigate your site? How easy is it to load content? Like quality of content, is your content unique? Uh, do, you know, users engage with it over time? Conversion rates, this is a, a big one. And, you know, buying existing sites and, and the age of the platform really helps. So I think they're 8% globally for HAPE, right? How many website visitors are actually going to check out? Uh, which is higher, I think, than 8% in their mature markets. And then, you know, average e-commerce site is about 3% across the board. And then traffic, right? So Google monitors how much traffic you generate uh, over a period of time. And, you know, that's important as, as users keep coming back. Google senses that uh, and, and pushes up your organic ranking. How do you... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah you have a question? Go ahead. Yeah. It's, I guess, how do you think about... You mentioned that risk of DTC, like with some of the big brands. I know Zen here in the US has like, I think 70% plus share. How do you kind of think about that? Is that maybe the big elephant in the room here? Is that the biggest threat to Hape's business? I mean, I don't think so. So, right. So I said, since the Jewel scandal, it's been, uh, you know, sort of iffy, right? Dealing with consumers. So I think they want to take a hands-off approach and they're, you know, they're pretty hesitant uh, selling and, and marketing directly to consumers. Um, you know, at the same time, I think the bigger thing is with Zinn's sort of DTC and whatever on pouches DTC is that they don't want to cannibalize their, their business partners and retail network. So they really don't want to be as price competitive as they can be with HAPE uh, and, and really antagonize that relationship. So, I mean, I, I checked recently, if you go to Zinn's direct to consumer website versus HAPE's like nickokick.com, so Zin cans, right, for a roll of five cans are starting at $4.80 on Zin's direct-to-consumer website. But if you go to Hape's website, Zin cans, you know, five cans for a roll uh, is, is a roll of five cans is $3.80 per can. So you're saving $5 on sort of the minimum order side, uh, size on both websites. Um, and, you know, for that reason, I think Zin uh, is, is really selling a fraction of what uh, Hape is selling. Uh, so I know, you know, they're selling 10 to 15 times more on pouches than on DTC. I'm not sure about Zin. Uh, but I also think the wider assortment of products is really important. Uh, you know, so as the market matures, consumers like to try different products, new flavors, and, and just different innovations being brought to market. Uh, and Hape actually said these websites help them. So, you know, you can go on the back of Zincan and says, go to Zin.com slash rewards. So someone will go on the, the Zin website and maybe order something and then they'll check Google and, and see you can go to a HAPE website and, 
you know, buy the cans for much cheaper. Uh, so I think, you know, just because, you know, retail is so big and, and they don't want to sort of cannibalize that, uh, they're, they're really not price competitive. Uh, so Hape sort of dominates them right now. Um, yeah. Do uh, guys love Zen rewards? I will say that people love. <laughs> I think well, guys hey, at the age hey, of thirty, hey, has rewards too. You know, yeah. The uh, yeah. Uh, let me. You mentioned in your write up that you sent us that there's a lot of interesting. You know, as, as with all the nicotine stuff, there's a lot of interesting regulatory things that <clears throat> creates a barrier to entry. Um, so I want to ask could someone replicate this business and you know why or why not or how difficult or easy would do you think it would be it'd be very difficult um you know it depends on on the jurisdiction uh you know so it's it's easier in sweden to do uh than the u.s um but in the u.s you know i think you need licenses in most states to uh you know sell dtc nicotine products and there's all these all these rules and stuff that, that make it difficult for certain nicotine products, uh, but to achieve national scale in a place like the U.S. is is difficult. Um, and you know that's why Hape you know bought into the U.S. instead of trying to build it up organically. It's just a notoriously uh, very difficult market. Uh, but people have tried. You know they 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 mentioned that a lot of people will come in and, and spend money and and try to compete and then leave. Um, so, I mean, the Make Weibo guys, I'm pretty sure they came into Sweden, tried to compete, you know, didn't do well. And then they actually bought shares of Hape. So the biggest competitor owns like five, six percent of Hape. And they're just like, yeah, we'll just own this exposure, like through buying uh, buying Hape stock. Um, but, you know, the regulatory piece is, is difficult, but I, I really think it's the the acquiring customers piece. Uh, you know, it's 99% is is paid uh, is is organic traffic uh, and one percent is paid um so it's it's just really difficult and you know the age of the platforms you know the super high conversion rates uh really put hate websites at the top three in most of their markets one and two and then sometimes you know three other times maybe a competitor will have the third uh but that that's been the most difficult part uh and you know like they said you know 85 percent of sales in 22 are from returning customers and they have the lowest prices. So, I mean, even if like, you know, you have price comparison tools, right? If you have 90% market share in Sweden, like, you know, they're just going to your, your other sort of site. Uh, and, you know, I also think the margins are like incredibly high that like, you know, everyone's just rushing in and saying, you know, I gotta, you know, make a business that's 12% gross margins. And, you know, I, I just don't think it's, you know, attracting that sort of competition. Um, but yeah, it, it's pretty defensible. And I think the market share numbers uh, kind of show that. Do you think more volumes, do you think a higher share of the nicotine pouch and snus market will move online over time? Or do you think it'll probably kind of stay where it's at today? Yeah. So it's, it's about 5% globally. Um, in Sweden, it's about like 28, 30%. You know, in Norway, it's about a high teens percent. In the UK, I think it's eight, nine percent. And in the US, it's three percent. Uh, so what they found, right, as the market matures, people get more price sensitive, right? I mean, a can of Zins, uh, and maybe this goes into like the advantage versus uh, brick and mortar. Like a, a single can of Zin in New York is like seven, eight bucks. Whereas if I buy five on a, on a hate website, I can get it for three and a half, four bucks. Um, 
you know, so it's really, it's really sort of a price, uh, per can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah okay. Um, right. I think prices on average are like 40% lower than convenience and, you know, some crazy sort of number like that. They have wow. 10, to- 10 times the amount of SKUs that they have in retail locations, uh, right. Eight to 1200 versus, you know, maybe 50 to 60 on the high end for a retail store. Uh, so, you know, what they found is over time, right. You know, online penetration is, is steadily sort of increasing. Uh, and, you know, they think it easily could get to 10% sort of from 5% now. And then, you know, in Europe, it's more likely to, to convert towards Sweden and, and maybe the U S gets to 10 to 15%, but it's so early. It's really kind of hard to know. How does this shift towards nicotine pouches benefit? Well, I guess sure. Is. Does it benefit hape or is it cannibalizing like a part of their existing business? No, it really does uh, benefit hate. And it, it is pretty much like the main growth driver for the business today. Um, you know, so I think hate, I think they're now doing 53% of their revenue is, is nicotine pouches versus snus. Um and so, you know, I think nicotine pouch volume in Q3 year over year was like 37, 38% growth. Uh, you know, and that core markets piece. So there, there's two segments of the business. The core markets is Norway, Sweden. The growth markets is US, UK, Germany, Austria, Switzerland. Uh, so core, uh, core market pouch volume grew like 29%. Uh, growth markets 53%, which is kind of crazy numbers. Uh, and I think in Scandinavia, you're getting a lot of women and, and former smokers uh, switch from, you know, cigarettes and, and maybe vaping to white pouches where they hadn't, women hadn't traditionally used snus as much as men, the tobacco based pouches. So they're really not cannibalizing the existing snus users. And, you know, I talked to a guy in Sweden a couple of weeks ago. He's like, yeah, I use both kind of all the time and, you know, they're, they're pretty interchangeable. Uh, but I still think at the same time, their their core like snooze business is probably growing at a you know low single digit rate. Uh, but yeah, I mean the the space at large is all is all nicotine pouches right now. Is there any? I'm thinking of the U.S. market here, which is the big player is Zen by by a mile. Is there any supplier concentration risk for Hape, or is it kind of a little more diversified over in their core markets? Yeah, I mean, you know, so so what sort of happened um, in Sweden, I think, is is a great example. So I think in 2016, 2015, there's HAPE had three main suppliers in Sweden. Uh, and, you know, you fast forward to today, they have 25 unique suppliers. Uh, so basically what happened in Sweden, right, as the space sort of exploded in popularity, capital rushed in, right? You had a bunch of new products and flavors come to market. Uh, and, and basically there, Zen and maybe On, I forget, I forget the second brand, were first movers and quite popular. Uh, but now you have a ton of new brands, you know, with different flavors, delivery agents, textures, and the market has become extremely fragmented. Uh, and I think On now is like less than 1% market share in Sweden. There's just tons and tons of products. Uh, so, you know, that sort of developed in Sweden, Sweden's most mature market. So it offers sort of insight into what could happen uh, in the US and other places. Uh, and, you know, once the floodgates are open in terms of regulation in the US, and I guess we'll, we'll go over the regulatory update uh, in a bit, uh, but you'll see something 
you know, kind of what happened in Sweden, you know, basically Hedon saying like Zinn will, will continue losing share. I'm sure it'll, it'll be big, uh, but that's sort of their thought. Um, but I think the cross the business, right. The biggest uh, brand is, you know, high 20% range for HAPE. The second largest is, is mid to high teens percent. Uh, and then the rest is in the single digit space. You know, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure the largest supplier is, is Zinn uh, and, you know, but, you know, it, it's, it doesn't really matter. I'd also say the balance of power kind of lies with them. Um, you know, I talked about the media and insights piece, but they're really the the go-to platform and only platform for testing new products. Uh, you know, I spoke with Turning Point Brands a, a couple months ago, and they were lo- like launching these cotton ball products, like not really pouches, but you put them in the mouth. Uh, and they said they'll go right to HAPE, right, and test out the product before they go to other websites, before they make a real push for retail distribution. Because, you know, HAPE has the, you know, the most active customers in the industry and, you know, you could buy sort of ad space on a HAPE website. So they'll see it, people order it and they'll measure sort of early feedback. Uh, so I really think HAPE uh, has so much data and, and you know, can, can really offer insight. And, you know, you could subscribe if you're a British American tobacco, you could see, you know, where are my consumers from? What are they ordering? Like, how often do they cycle between my brand and different brands? Uh, you know, so I think... You know, despite some supplier concentration risk, you know, hate provides a ton of benefit that they're they're willing to you know give up on on some stuff to to please them. So you mentioned the regulatory environment. Let's hit that now. Do you think it's a bullish, bearish? How, how could it impact hate and the industry at large? Yeah, so I think you know, reg regulation would be great, uh, both for hate's sort of absolute and relative position. Uh, and the two big things are, you know, something uh, done by the FDA and, and the European Union. You know, so the first uh, is being FDA approval and granting of, of these things called pre-market tobacco product applications or PMTAs uh, for several SKUs in the space. And hey, think that's highly likely. Basically, now everything sort of operates in a gray area. Uh, basically, the FDA said, right, if you have any products in the market, I think you're selling by 2016 or something like that. You're entitled to keep them in the market as long as you submit a PMTA by by 2020 to the FDA. And that covered tobacco, derived nicotine products. Uh, so no new products are basically allowed to come in, right? They saw an explosion in the space. They want to put a halt on new products coming in, have existing ones submit these PMTAs, which are very extensive, and then said, let's review the entire thing first. And you had some like synthetic nicotine products come in, uh, like Frey, and they did the same thing. You know, they said you can continue selling, but you need to, you know, submit PMTAs by by X date. Uh, or else you're cut off. So there's basically like hundreds of these PMTAs outstanding. Uh, and, the, you know, the timeline's uncertain, but, you know, HAPE and others really think that they're going to approve these things. Uh, and, you know, once you have a PMTA, you basically get a stamp of approval that your product is here to stay and you have a license to sell similar to like a drug. Uh, and a removal process is, is you know, more complicated and prolonged. And then the next thing you look for is like a, is MR, uh, you know, TP status, so a modified risk tobacco uh product and you know that that allows you to market things like using this product instead of cigarettes you know you have a less risk of of cancer you know heart attack things like that uh so the big thing is that in 2019 you know the fda granted several SKUs of of uh you know swedish snus so i think it was swedish matches general snus brand modified risk status uh and they're allowed to kind of market them as you know a less harmful alternative to cigarettes 
you know, so that's a tobacco-based pouch product. You know, so if they're willing to give, you know, this modified risk label to a tobacco-based product, it, it's sort of highly likely they'll approve these white pouch products, which are, you know, much healthier. Uh, there's been, you know, some other stuff, right? So this guy, Mitch Zeller, he, he's like the head of the, the Center for Tobacco Products at the FDA. He said that like evidence shows these products could help uh, addicted smokers, you know, get off cigarettes and, and you know, do something with, with potentially fewer harmful chemicals. So they're, you know, they're, they're sort of, you know, inching around the, the topic a little bit, haven't fully addressed it. Uh, in general, I think it's harder to get addicted, uh, you know, with cigarettes and vapes, you get this immediate sort of rush and, you know, it goes right to your bloodstream. And I say the nicotine buzz for a Zen or a pouch is more drawn out and kind of less in your face. Uh, and as a result, you know, the youth uptake issue hasn't been nearly, uh, you know, as big an issue as it was for vapes. I think it's like 80, 85% of, of pouch users are using it to get off cigarettes, vapes, and, and other nicotine products. Uh, you know, that is a risk and, and could change though, obviously, if, if youth uptake becomes a huge issue. Um, and then the second one would be the EU wide legalization of the product. So every few years, uh, few years, the EU does this thing called the Tobacco Product Directive or TPD. And they basically update their stance on like a bunch of tobacco products and any new products coming to the market and things like that. Uh, and the most recent one, TPD2, the EU fully legalized vaping, you know, which offers some some good insight and in what, what could happen with uh, nicotine pouches. You know, they put caps on like strength and, and different things like that, nicotine strength. Uh, you've had varying approaches. So Belgium, the Netherlands have fully banned white pouch nicotine, uh, nicotine pouches. And you had Denmark, Italy, Czech Republic, Austria introduced positive legislation, right? They're legalizing the category, they're, they're taxing it, they're putting caps on flavors and nicotine strength and things like that. Uh, you've had Finland ban it, and then they're actually moving to unban it and re-regulate it, I believe. Uh, and then somewhere in the middle, so you have like Germany, uh, they put a halt on brick and mortar sales of nicotine products, but they allow uh, you to order them online for private consumption. Um, and Germany's really the the big market there. That's you know most of the the band just being such a big country. Uh, but you know, hey, thinks you know things will go well. Like the German, some institute of, of health said, you know, these things are, are less harmful than cigarettes. That was last year. Uh, so you know, hey, thinks some countries will ban, some will have positive legislation. But in the end, the EU kind of will legalize them across across the EU. Uh, it's just you know hard to imagine they'd. They'd, uh, legalized vapes and, and not pouches. I mean, pouches are definitely healthier than than vapes. And, you know, Hape sort of thinks they're they're less than 1% of the harm of traditional cigarettes. Uh, so, you know, obviously a remarkable, uh, you know, sort of difference. Um, there was some concern that Norway was going to ban the sale of online tobacco products. I think that was mainly, uh, you know, vapes and then unregulated uh, pouch products coming from Sweden. And in different markets. So, you know, in every jurisdiction, HAPE only retails products, you know, approved by the Norwegian authorities made in Norway. Uh, so it's, it's you know, products from within the country and, and they think they're, you know, not going to be included in that ban, but, you know, it's something to monitor and, you know, uh, was a concern at one point. Uh, you know, in general, I think, you know, the, the health profile is pretty remarkable. Uh, and, you know, you kind of really need to embrace, uh, you know, reduce risk products to get people off smoking. I mean, Sweden has like a smoking rate, a third of the EU average. I think they're at like 6%. The EU average is like over 20. Uh, and then the, the the most recent one is Norway. So Norway had a massive drop in cigarette use. 
uh, which strongly overlaps, right, with pouch use in the country. It's like a one-to-one <laughs> correlation almost. Uh, so smoking rates went from 17, 18%. They're, they're under 10% now. Uh, but, you know, I think people know that. There's tons of data on it. I mean, there's tons of data on traditional snooze that's been around since like the 1800s. And people think that's, you know, like less than 5% of the harm of traditional cigarettes. So, you know, there's a bunch of good data and, and things to support the the health case here as well. Um, and the youth uptake issue hasn't hasn't been real, uh, you know, thing yet. So it looks pretty good. Yeah, it's, I mean, from our point, we kind of have the same view. Seems like a win-win-win for all parties involved. An important thing with small caps, and I guess it's with every company, but people get worried about this, so we like to talk about it, and it is management. Um, what are your general thoughts here? Are they aligned with shareholders? They got a big stake here. What do you think of them? Yeah. I mean, in general, we're very pleased with management. Um, like they are aligned with shareholders. We met the CEO five, six times, uh, and he, you know, he's been very generous with his time. He, he came to visit us uh, in our offices in New York. Uh, you know, he's very experienced, knows the business well. Uh, he spent his career at Bats, and he was the general manager of Scandinavia before he came to Ape, so he knows that market very well. But I just think he's just very knowledgeable. Uh, about the space in general, he'll be like, there's, you know, three X the amount of vapors in Germany versus pouch users in the UK. So like this should converge here and that there and just kind of, you know, just rattle off like random statistics and stuff. So he knows this market well uh, and, you know, kind of gives us confidence. Uh, and, you know, I think he himself owns around 4% of the company, the rest of management, you know, another percent or two. Uh, and then there's some warrants outstanding. So management probably owns, you know, a couple more percent through those. If, if you would assume all those were to exercise uh, and they'd hold the shares. Um, but the original founders, right, the the two entrepreneurs uh, and then the early backer, they own, I think, a high 30% range of the company. And they have board representation as well. And then you have the northerner guy. Uh, that's the guy who owns right those U.S. websites, and you know he had a business in, in Sweden too. He owns nine and a half percent. The largest competitor that I mentioned before owns about five and a half percent. Fidelity owns ten percent, and there's some other sort of uh, pockets of ownership. Uh, you know, not all day to day decision makers, but it's a pretty you know tight cap table, uh, low float, uh, and everyone sort of believes in, in the company, and you know has history in the pouch space and in the industry. Uh, so they've all sort of all come together under this, you know, hype umbrella. Uh, you know, management incentivized through warrants. Um, it's not per share metrics, but you know, you know, if the share price goes up, that that's 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 good. Uh, so, you know, I think if you if you exercise all warrants outstanding, you'd maybe get seven to eight percent dilution. Uh, a bunch of those were, were granted closer to the IPO, uh, so you probably get closer to three, maybe four percent. Uh, dilution. Uh, but yeah, generally, you know, we, we think management knows what they're doing and, you know, building this, this sort of market share and, you know, a competitive uh, business is quite impressive. Uh, and I think their, their moat has just developed over time through that. So they've done a good job. Brett and I were uh, Swedish match shareholders as we were talking about before the show. So we, we believe in the structural tailwind. We believe in nicotine pouches. We think there's, a lot of growth here for hape however that's that alone is not going to make it a good investment valuation always comes into play how do you look at the valuation today 
why do you think this is attractive? Can you maybe give some numbers in terms of like how much they're earning relative to their market cap? Yeah. So I think the valuation is very attractive and it's, it's uh, one of the best pieces of the story. Uh, you know, the underlying profitability of HAPE is masked by the, the growth market's cash burn right now. Um, you know, so that's currently burning money. Uh, but, you know, it, it'll soon be profitable, according to management. You know, the thing, the first two quarters of, of fiscal 24, uh, you'll start to see break even in the growth markets piece. And I think the U.S. is actually already broken even. Um, but, yeah, so in the last 12 months, uh, you know, HAPE did about like $3 billion. Uh, Swedish kroners in revenue, about 110 million kroners in EBITDA, uh, and has an enterprise value of like 1.4 billion uh, uh, SEC. Uh, you know, so on the surface, right, that's like 12 and a half uh, times trailing uh, EBITDA. And then if you're to zero losses from the growth markets business, uh, the core markets business generated about 190 million SEC. And EBITDA, uh, so take that 1.4 billion enterprise value, right? You're buying just, you know, the EBITDA of Norway and Sweden for seven and a half times. And the way I kind of view it is that, like, you're paying seven and a half times, you know, for a monopoly direct-to-consumer e-commerce business that's growing at a low teens rate, right, for the foreseeable future, in a sticky product category that's like very well suited for for e-commerce and you know just repeating customers and things like that. Then you're getting a quarter of the business, right? The growth markets business, which most recently grew last quarter, 68% year over year top line. And it's now kind of a quarter of the overall business. So if you, you kind of do the math with similar growth rates, right? That's soon, you know, it'll eclipse the, eclipse the, the core market business. Uh, that's not profitable yet. Uh, but I mean, you know, really getting great operating leverage. So I think year over year, you had like an 800 basis points uplift in, in EBITDA margin, that growth uh, growth markets piece. Uh, and that, you know, that should slow down. So we think that grows more with the nicotine pouch space overall, which is, you know, slated to grow at like a 40 something percent CAGR for the next few years. So a little lower than 70%. Um, but HAPE also put out interim targets. They put out, I think, a 5 billion SEC revenue target for 2025. Uh, and then kind of guided towards 8% medium to long-term uh, EBITDA margins, right? So if they're doing 5 billion top line at 8%, you know, that's it's 400 million SEC and sort of normalized pre-tax cash flow in 2025. Uh, and you take, you know, the 1.4 billion uh, SEC enterprise value, you know, you're, you're paying three and a half times EBITDA potentially in, in 2025. And, you know, maybe face valuation is lower, because uh, growth markets isn't at eight percent yet, or they enter a whole new set of growth markets, um, which will which will drain capital as well. But really, looking at a mature, you know, state of this business, you, you could be paying you know low single digit sort of multiple on uh, pre tax cash flow, uh, and you know you just have the the monopoly sort of aspect and high barriers to entry, things like that. I think it's important to note too, you know, not a single Swedish institution was allowed to participate in the IPO. You know, just strict like no nicotine tobacco policy. Uh, the only institutional owner is Fidelity. They own about you know nine ten percent, I think. Um, and then you know, there's rumors that like the Swedish FSA or financial authority has been pressuring institutions to dump small caps. Uh, there's no kind of concrete information on that. 
Um, but you know, liquidity has dried up for a bunch of small caps and, you know, it's, it's widely undiscovered sort of even within Sweden. Uh, so, you know, that definitely hampers the, the valuation as well. All right. Last question. We asked this on every episode, what could go wrong here? What's the pre-mortem for HAPE? Yeah, I think the big risk is obviously regulatory. You know, so the two major regulatory events I talked about, the FDA and the EU uh, TBD could end up not happening or, you know, they, they take a, you know, much more negative stance than than we think. Uh, you know, it is important to know. So the EU has a ban on all oral tobacco products. It's like traditional Swedish snus is not is, is illegal in the rest of the EU. It's just like you know, when Sweden was joining the EU, they had this specific carve out. They're like, we're not joining unless we can, you know, have our snooze. Uh, so that is, you know, something to be aware of. You know, you've had the Belgium and Netherlands ban uh, them and, you know, they're politically very important within the EU. Uh, I know those are, are in court and, you know, a lot of people are sort of unhappy with that. You know, a second risk is that like competition really ramps up and, you know, HAPE's position is less defensible uh, than we initial thought. You know, maybe margins go up, the space explodes in popularity, and then you, you get a rush of competition. You know, there's limited paid search opportunities as well. Uh, so, right, getting customers is very hard. Uh, but, you know, that still doesn't mean people won't try and, and hate can can lose their edge, uh, you know, even if the market grows, grows a ton. Um, but I will push back. I say, you know, once a market gets big enough to track such competition, Google will, like, completely shut down all paid keyword search opportunities. So like Norway and Sweden, they're basically non-existent. Uh, and you can sometimes get them through in the US and other jurisdictions. Uh, but you know, that that's sort of not really an issue as the market gets bigger. Um I think the fourth risk is there's some carve out for online in, in terms of a regulatory uh approach uh in their major markets. Uh I don't think this is an issue in their core markets, right? Norway and Sweden, these sites have been around forever. You know, the governments are, are friendly towards pouches and you know, they're, they're legal sort of categories. So I don't think that's an issue. I think in the U.S. and potentially in Europe, uh, you know, for example, in the U.S., online vape uh, is, you know, a disaster, right? The U.S. Postal Service and UPS and FedEx won't ship them. And, you know, the youth uptake issue, it, it's just been a mess. And you have to, you know, use private shippers. And there's all these, like, you know, things with, like, crossing state lines and stuff and paying the appropriate tax. It's, it's really a mess. Uh, so... You know, that could happen in the U.S. and that would really hurt Pate's business. Uh, you know, I think in Europe, despite legalization of the product category, right? So, so they, they legalize vapes. Uh, but, you know, I think the Netherlands and, and Italy as well ban online sales of vapes. So even though the EU, you know, legalized the product category, individual member states could ban them. Uh, so that also could happen. But, you know, I think the margin of safety is that you're paying seven and a half times for Norway and Sweden. Uh, even if the growth business evaporates overnight, you know, that's a, you know, growing double digits and it's, it's highly cash generative and, you know, has 80, 90% market share in both of those markets. Uh, so I, I think that's, uh, you know, you know, paying that sort of multiple kind of protects you from, from a worst case scenario. All right. That's all the questions Brett and I have. I think this one's really interesting i'm probably gonna uh look more into it after this uh after after we hop off here but um i guess closing here for anyone that wants to read more of your work read more of anything you have is there any resources any places they can follow along 
Uh, I mean, I have a Twitter. I don't really post anything. I just, you know, retweet these podcasts that I do. Uh, that was but, the last tweet. <laughs> the last tweet, 20, 2022. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you could reach reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, email me, spencerrabati.com. Uh, happy to chat. And, you know, for all the former Swedish match shareholders, you have a, a, a nicotine pouch, pure play kind of, you know, out there. So hoping uh hoping some people kind of like it and, and delve into it a bit more but yeah, yeah i know a few people that would be quite interested in this uh podcast so yeah thanks for coming on thanks so much for having me guys all right with that i want to throw a disclosure on this and say brett and i are not financial advisors spencer i don't know if you're a financial advisor or not but uh either way anything that's said on this podcast is not formal advice or recommendation thank you all for tuning in thank you spencer Uh, for joining the show again, and we'll see you all next time.